Welcome to PICGO Happenings. I'm your host, Diana McFarland. I'm here to give you a front row view of county government. Welcome listeners. This is our second visit with Matt Rowe. He is the Director of Economic Development with Pennsylvania County. And here at PICCO Happenings, we are doing a few episodes on economic development to let our listeners know how this area of expertise fits into the overall role of local government. Last week, we talked about the many businesses and industries who have come to Pennsylvania County and Danville over the past few years and the investments they are making in the region, as well as bringing in well-paying jobs. Much of this was done through an alliance between the county and Danville, which formed after the collapse of the tobacco and textile industries about 15 years ago. This week, we are going to focus on the role of workforce development and in bringing these industries and businesses to the region and why Pennsylvania County and Danville excel at this important component of economic development. Well, good morning, Matt. Thanks for joining us again this week. Sure. Good morning, Diana. Thank you for having us. Last week during our podcast, you had mentioned that the average age of workers in the manufacturing sector right now is in the late in their late fifties. And why is that significant? It's, it's extremely significant because as businesses, businesses are always trying to find ways to mitigate risk. And so, if you're a business right now, um, you know that is a a major risk uh, for for you as a company um, is, is ensuring that you have. Uh, you know, the workforce, the talent, the skills uh, in order to compete uh, in today's environment, especially as things become, uh, you know, even more competitive. Globalization uh, is still uh, prevalent. Uh, and then, of course, just the uh, increased technology uh, included in really all processes of business, be manufacturing, be it, you know, uh, cybersecurity, uh, you know, uh, software development, you name it. And so, again, making sure that you not only have, you know, the, uh, the actual bodies, uh, so to speak, but also ensuring that those bodies have the skill sets that are needed uh, in order for a company to excel. Now, is this a concern over less people with these skills or just less people in general? All the above. Um, and so, you know, regardless of, um, you know, of your political affiliation, the fact is, is that the United States right now, and really, you know, most of the developing uh, or developed world, rather, you know, we're going through a demographic crisis. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we really need more individuals coming into the workforce. Uh, we actually have a pretty high labor participation rate, if you truly look at the data across the board. And so, uh, you know, it really is both. And then I would say, you know, there's been a major focus in many um, communities, I'd say most communities, uh, on trying to get individuals to go down a four-year college path. And so that has then, of course, uh, you know, left, uh, you know, a tremendous amount of uh, vacancies and opportunities in manufacturing jobs and IT jobs, um, things that typically really are only looking at a two-year associate's degree or something similar. And so, again, the opportunity is there, um, you know, especially for regions such as ours, to excel in advanced manufacturing, uh, you know, companies and, and, and types of skill sets. Now, is there like the thought that a four-year degree will get you a better job than perhaps some of these jobs are going to be talking about? I think in the past that just how education was set up, um, you know, that probably did have um, some truth to it. And in certain instances and in certain, you know, degrees, obviously with, you know, engineering degrees, uh, doctor, uh, you know, degrees, so on and so forth. 
um, you know, that, you know, that certainly carries weight, um, you know, but what has really changed is, is that, you know, in the 70s and 80s, uh, you know, the cost of education was nowhere near uh, what it is today, you know, per, you know, U.S. dollar paid. And so, you know, what you have today, of course, is extreme amounts of student debt uh, coming out. And so I think what a lot of families are realizing and individuals are realizing, you know, is that you can go into, you know, an advanced manufacturing job, you can go into HVAC work, for example, you know, construction trades. Um, and, you know, you come out with very little, if any, debt. Um, you know, the community colleges uh, have, you know, counselors that you know, their job is literally to find grants and forms of, you know, payment assistance really for anyone and everyone that, you know, comes to their doors. And so I think that there's a strong argument right now with how the educational system is set up where you probably would actually be better off from a long-term perspective uh, in several, you know, in, in many cases, you know, to go into more of an advanced manufacturing, uh, you know, vocational-minded skill set. So now that we've kind of set the stage <clears throat> on that subject, um, what has Pennsylvania County and Danville done to approach this concern we talked about, and why is this strategy unique and beneficial here so as you mentioned coming into the intro here you know this community lost really you know furniture uh you know textiles uh, and tobacco and one of the key ones really is furniture and textiles um uh, and i say key because it had a very strong supplier base around it so for example with uh you know furniture manufacturing you have tools and dye uh you know components to that and so there's a lot of metal working, uh, you know, associated with that that people really don't realize. Yeah, you wouldn't think and, that. And so, you know, because of that, Danville Community College, which, you know, back in the 40s was an offshoot really of Virginia Tech, um, you know, had a very strong uh, machining program. Oh, really? And, uh, and so, uh, you know, this community, and I can't take credit for it, but, you know, the, you know visionary leaders, uh, you know, probably about two decades ago, understood um, you know what, we have a very strong foundational base here. Uh, let's build upon that. So that's why you see such a strong emphasis in uh, precision machining, because that was really, and none of it's easy, but that was probably the easiest of the um, pathways forward with adding technology to a legacy program. And then what really, I think, has separated our area is, is that most communities look at workforce from like a more academia background. And that's great for getting certificates, but it's not really the most efficient method of being able to meet what industry needs. And so this community has actually formed like a manufacturing work council uh, where industry is directly involved in the curriculum itself. And this community has done a fantastic job of listening to industry. So by listening to industry, it has enabled this community to understand you know, over the next seven to 10 years, here are the skill sets that we need and that we anticipate creating jobs for. And so, you know, it started with precision machining, but then of course, you know, it's expanded to uh, automation, robotics, industrial maintenance and mechatronics, um, you know, precision and advanced welding. Uh, and then of course, looking at even the, uh, the cybersecurity and the computer coding, which goes into making sure that these um, advanced manufacturing machines uh, work and run. And so all of that is based upon the inputs of industry. And, you know, that has really led to where the county and city have excelled um, in, again, listening to industry and designating, you know, what are finite resources, you know, towards this um, significantly. And so they have had to, frankly, cut in, you know, from other programs that may not have as high returns 
based upon the uh, the industry signals. And so because of that, that's why when you walk through our high schools, our middle schools, so on and so forth, um, you're really probably walking through some of the most uh, advanced uh, educational uh, institutions and facilities for advanced manufacturing in the world, truly. Well, I have to agree. I've lived in other parts of the state and other parts of the country, and that was one thing I noticed when I came here was this really strong concentration in these areas that can lead to good careers. These are high-paying jobs. So can you describe some of the programs that are available here in this sort of area beginning in the middle school? Sure. So, so in the middle schools, it's really all about more of the exposure. So when a kid comes in, you know, you almost kind of ask them, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, right, you get a lot of, I want to be LeBron James, I want to be Beyonce, and, you know, like me, I'm, I'm a tall guy, but I don't have the athleticism of LeBron James, and I certainly can't sing like Beyonce. And so imagine many of the kids are kind of like me, where it's just, it's just not in the cards. And so after they go through the, uh, you know, the, the programs, um, and again, it really is those skill sets, right? So when you walk into, for example, Tatum Middle School, I mean, you, you know, the kids are, are learning, you know, coding of machines using, you know, Raspberry Pi coding. Um, you know, they're learning about, uh, uh, you know, robots with actual, what they call dobots. Uh, and so, um, you know, it's very unique. Um, you know, the welding is being done by virtue of Lincoln Virtual Welders. By the way, the females are destroying the males when it comes to to the you know to that particular program. It becomes extremely competitive. Really? Um, watching the kids compete, you know, on the on the virtual welders. Um, you know, you walk in there and you've got three D printers. So right, so they're literally in there using various forms of software and platforms to design elements that are being three D printed. And then our partnership with the Haas Foundation has been further expanded, where um, you know the Haas. Uh, you know, network of, um, of machine manufacturing, they actually created the first middle school uh, focused, uh, you know, turning milling lathe machine uh, because, you know, so it actually has specialized guards, right? Middle schoolers have little fingers that can get into places where they shouldn't be sometimes. And so, uh, and so again, you know, actual pieces of equipment specialized just for this program. Uh, and so, you know, when you go through that, you know, and all the students, you know, have to take a certain uh, amount of time, you know, uh, you know, semester-wise going through these programs, it's not for them to, to really learn the exact skill sets of manufacturing, but it is to get them exposed to what manufacturing is, and more importantly, what it is not, which is what a lot of the negative stereotypes have been. And so then it sets them on a career path of when they go into the high school programs, okay, you know, I now know, well, these are the areas that I have interest in, and so, the, you know, those programs just really build upon it where they actually start getting industrial certifications. And then from there, if, you know, it flows seamlessly through dual credit, uh, you know, uh, components into the uh, community college system. So it really is creating this career pathway. And we are actually right now looking at ways of how do we get the students even earlier. And I would say that the most important thing is, from my experience, is, yes, it's important to reach the students. I hate to say it, it's almost more important to reach the, the parents. And so um, when you walk into these facilities, they're spotless because we want to send the message to parents. Again, the old ways of how you view manufacturing 20 or 30 years ago is not what manufacturing is today. It's in clean, safe, uh, you, know, you know, very typically pleasant environment. Now, I know we touched on this a little bit earlier, but has the focus on these areas, is that, has that been a deliberate decision? to bring that type of industry here or has this evolved over time? 
I think it's a, a little bit of both. Um, certainly by listening to industry, you know, this area had a strong core, uh, even, you know, with the uh, the loss of, of textile and furniture and tobacco, you still had a pretty strong industrial base here in Southern Virginia as a whole. And so uh, recognizing that this was a risk, but, you know, what is also a risk, you know, obviously, you know, workforce-wise in the, in the broader national manufacturing sense is an opportunity for someone if they're willing to take it. And so this community stepped up and said, okay, we're going to create, you know, we're going to create an opportunity here. Uh, and so, you know, at the end of the day, again, you know, plowing significant amounts of, uh, of resources into these programs uh, was a very much a, a strategic uh, decision. Uh, and so, again, it's been a little bit of, a little bit of, you know, fortuitous luck of listening to industry and having that, uh, you know, element here, having the legacy programs already here in place. But also making that strategic, you know, monetary decision of, okay, we realize that we can get a seven to ten year, uh, you know, competitive advantage by, you know, by adding technology, by adding more importantly, almost the technology scale to show that we're pumping out, uh, you know, a net exporter really of talent, which uh, you know companies are looking for, and so now, you know, the, you know, we're to the point of, you know, we certainly don't want to take our foot off the gas. Now we really want to determine, okay. What are the next programs that we can put in place? What are the next forms of technology that we can put in place to uh, enable us to have another seven to 10 years of competitive advantage? So that's the process we're going through now. And it looks like it's going to be more down the line of industry 5.0, uh, 4.0, uh, whatever you want to call it, which is really lights out manufacturing, even more automation and looking at adding in a strong element of additive manufacturing, right? So actually growing parts and then utilizing the traditional skill sets that we have here of subtractive manufacturing. So you grow apart and you're still subtracting it back or machining it down to the final specification. So it's, it's a very unique process. Well, maybe explain real briefly what additive manufacturing is. Sure. So additive manufacturing is literally what it sounds like. It is, it is pretty much growing a part through, you know, um, it can be through uh, you know, uh, gaseous or chemical processes. Uh, you know, it can be through uh, wire or actual material processes. And so, you know, think of a 3D printer, um, you know, so you can do composites, you can do uh, metallic, uh, you know, uh, exotic alloys. Um, but the key thing is, and that this is where a lot of, you know, I think even businesses sometimes fail to recognize this, is, is that if you grow a part, you still have to find a way to subtract it given today's technology. So it's not advanced enough to the point where you can just grow apart and it checks all the boxes for tolerance and, and you know, standard of error and so on and so forth. So that really has given us a tremendous um, competitive advantage of having an already strong subtractive or machining program. You know, it only made sense now to add in additive because the, you know, what additive manufacturing is doing, you know, for the nation is it's replacing what has been, you know, typically made with, you know, forged products. So instead of pouring metal into a mold, um, which, you know, is extremely wasteful, um, that sometimes has some negative you know, environmental concerns, um, you're instead growing the part. Well, Matt, do some of these training programs and businesses that are coming here, um, do they address another concern that is widely complained about in this area, that young folks are leaving and not coming back? Do you think that will be another incentive for them yeah. to stay here? That's certainly the goal of any community. I mean, I don't care if it's a community that just wants to stay the same. I mean, every every community, every person, you know, every family, when you ask them, you know, what do you want? I mean, I think at the end of the day, everybody can always agree that we at least want to have the opportunity here you know, for our children to stay home. Whether or not they do it is a personal decision up to them. 
Um, and so you're already seeing that, frankly. I mean, that's what you're seeing in, you know, with the uh, redevelopments going on in the city. Um, you know, that made a lot of sense just because the structure is already there um, and there's you know, tax credits to kind of drive that. But that's also what you're seeing now with this housing demand. Um, you're seeing the opportunity of, for young folks to stay. So right now, I mean, you have certain young folks, for example, that are driving 70 miles each way back and forth to BWXT uh, in Lynchburg and, and, you know, down to Greensboro, Winston-Salem. And so by, you know, having jobs that pay, you know, uh, same wages or close to the same wages and cut that travel time in half or, or more, um, you know, it's only human you know, nature that you're going to take those opportunities to stay closer to home just so you can spend more time with family. And, and we have a great quality of life. So you do find that a lot of the folks that graduate, you know, from our schools, everybody always immediately says, I'm gonna move away. It doesn't matter where you are. Um, but at the end of the day, there is something special in this area that stays with those students that really draws them back home. Well, Matt, thank you so much for discussing this component of economic development. Um, next week, we're gonna be talking about the Southern Virginia megasite, also known around here as Berry Hill. Um, so, Matt, thank you, and I look forward to talking to you next week. Sure. Thanks, Dan. Thank you for listening to Pitco Happenings. I hope you learned something informative. If you have a question or want to make a comment, give me a call or send a text to 434-489-8739.